All right, I need to know here, uh, any Dallas Cowboys fans? <laughs> yes, thank you. Mar yeah, right on, dude. Good to see you. That, okay, good, good. We're in good company then for those who just raised their hand. All right, I, I knew what was going to happen there. I just needed to know who was aligned with me. Um, all right, more serious question. All right, do I are there any Golden State Warriors fans here? Okay, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, is there Kings fans? Oh, all right. All right, well, I guess that's good to know my congregation, right? Uh, there you go. Uh, so let's go back to last summer. Summer 2016, June, the Golden State Warriors just finished the greatest season in NBA history. Their record was 73-9. and nine. They beat the unbeatable record of the 1996 Chicago Bulls at 72-10. and 10. They were on their way, fully predicted, to win the NBA Finals. In fact, they were doing so amazing, they were up 3-1 to one in the NBA Finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But then the basketball gods spoke. <laughs> and somehow, some way, with the ejection of a player and all that ensued, if you want to get in a little drama for those who watch sports, all that ensued, Cleveland Cavaliers then ended up winning three consecutive games, winning the series four to three, and, and undoing what was the greatest season ever, and now it's just a has-been. Now, the question is, if you're Golden State, what do you do? You see, there's kind of a motto in sports that often exists, and the motto goes something like this. You do whatever it takes to what? Win. You do whatever it takes. Inflate footballs a certain way, you know, I mean, you, <laughs> you do whatever it takes to win. So the Golden State didn't say, ah, oh, we were so close, we were good. If the injection didn't happen, if this didn't happen, we would have won. Let's just keep our team the same as it is. No, that's not what they did. We'll do whatever it takes. So they went out, and they got arguably one of the top two or three best players in the NBA and drafted, drafted uh, or traded for Kevin Durant, who came to the Golden State Warriors. And then uh, he went on to become the MVP. And then this year, they won it all. So Golden State Warriors fans, congrats. Can we... Be good sports, everybody. Be good sports. Come on. You do whatever it takes to win. And they did that, and they won. But that mentality isn't limited to just sports. You do whatever it takes. That's the mantra in business. Whatever it takes to win, to be successful, to make the profit. Let me ask you this. You think that's a motto in politics? You better believe it is, right? We'll do whatever it takes to win. I won't go down that path too far. What's the mentality? The mentality is essentially me first. I'll do whatever it takes to win. I'm not going to worry or be concerned about them, the others. I'm going to be worried about me, my group, my team, whatever it is. Me first. By the way, this me-first mentality or attitude, it, it's actually normal. Did you know that? That would be normal. So if you don't have a me-first attitude, you're actually not normal. It's actually natural to have the me-first mentality. The Bible calls that our sinful nature. 
And so we have that in us, take care of me. I'll do whatever I can to take care of me so that I can win, so that I can be successful. And yet the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So here's the challenge for you and I. The world would tell us that success is about doing whatever it takes to win because it's all about my winning, my success, success for me first. Do whatever it takes for me to win, for me to succeed. That's what the world says. But God comes along and says, no, 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 no. Success is putting others first, that we would actually help others to win. It raises the question, does that mean that in order to be successful with God, does that mean we have to be unsuccessful with the world? Does it mean that in order to be successful with the world, that we have to be unsuccessful with God? With that introduction in mind, I want us to turn this morning to our story we've been looking at in the life of Jacob. And in our story, we're going to see what success looks like, what winning looks like in God's eyes. While we live in the midst of this me-first society, while we live in this me-first world. Now let me try to recap the story for you quickly. If you haven't been here, I really encourage you, go listen or go watch online. There's just some crazy stuff that has happened. We've learned about this guy Jacob, and, and, and Jacob has just you know, been a selfish guy and made a lot of mistakes. And he, he, One of his big mistakes was deceiving his brother and deceiving his dad. He stole his brother's birthright, which meant a lot of money, a lot of privileges. He stole his brother, the blessing from his dad, and, and his brother was so angry he wanted to kill him. And so his mom says, hey, you've got to get out of town or your brother's going to kill you. And, and why don't you go to uh, 500 miles away to Haran? We have family there. That's where we all came from. And go there. And while you're there, find a bride, find a wife, and then come home, and everything will be good once your brother's anger settles down. So he heads off to Haran. In the process, he has this crazy dream. God speaks to him. He gets to Haran. He meets his cousin, Rachel. He falls in love with her. He kisses her. They're kissing cousins. And so then, and then they kind of go on, and, and he wants to get married for her. But to get married to her, the father, said, Laban, says, you can marry her, but you need to work for me for seven years first. He agrees to it. It's about double the cost of a bride back then, but he agrees because he's so in love with her, and, and in his mind, it's such a good deal. But then on the wedding night, Laban tricks uh, Jacob. And you remember, if you were here with us, you remember the story. Instead of bringing Rachel to him in the dark in the evening, all veiled as would be the custom, he brings his older daughter, Leah. Jacob isn't paying attention, and so, you know, he just doesn't pay attention and <laughs> wakes up the next morning and sees next to him Leah. He's like, what in the world happened? I was tricked. But he's now, you know, had sex with her, had a relationship with her, so the deal is sealed. He runs to his father-in-law Laban. Laban says, hey, I, I know I did that to you, but you know, the, it's not right to marry the younger daughter first, and so I needed you to do that. And so the marriage to Leah, my older daughter, it stands. But if you still want to marry Rachel, I got another deal for you. He's like, oh, great. Another deal. Work for me another seven years, and you could have Rachel. Jacob agrees. What else can he do? 
behind all of this, with the sovereignty of God in the backdrop, we have Almighty God who is bringing Jacob's lifetime pattern of deceit, he's bringing it through Laban down on his own head. And Jacob ends up being on the receiving end of of the great deception that he has been one who had been deceiving. So the con man is con, the cheater is cheated, the deceiver is deceived, the scammer is scammed. And Jacob could do nothing because he's only reaping what he had sown years earlier. There's our backdrop. Let's dive into the story. Genesis chapter 30, if you haven't turned there yet, or if you haven't tapped on your phone yet. Genesis 30. And and we're going to say some words as we try to do here uh, from time to time. And so uh, no mumbling. If I ask you to say a word, let's do it loud, do it proud, all that kind of stuff. So Genesis 30, starting in verse 25, it says this, After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own what? My own homeland. I'm in a foreign land. I want to go home. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much I worked for you or how much work I've done for you. So are you tracking? Seven more years have passed. Now Jacob, after 14 years, he's ready to go home. In the 14-year period of time, he has fathered 11 children, 11 sons. But in that process, because he's working for Uncle Laban or father-in-law Laban, in that process, he hasn't gained any wealth for himself. He has only gained it for, his, for Uncle Laban or his father-in-law Laban. But Jacob doesn't care. He doesn't care if he's broke. All he cares about is that his time is up. He's finished. He's fulfilled the contract. He's ready to go home. Verse 27. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Laban, this ultimate deceiver, he says, hey, Jacob, please stay. I want you to say, hey, I was talking to my fortune teller, you know, my spiritual advisor, and they told me that I'm in the position I'm in today because of you. I'm doing well today because of you. Now, we need to understand about Laban. He is so selfish. He is so self-absorbed, so self-centered that he can't see the absurdity of, of what he's asking. You've had the guy for 14 years. And you've amassed a massive massive amount of wealth. You you can't let the guy go home and go to his family? In fact, Laban goes on further. He wants to do everything he can. Verse 28. Name your wages, he says, and I will what? Name your wages and I will pay them. Whatever it takes, I will do. It doesn't matter. You name it, and I'll do it. Verse 30, or verse 29. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had before I came has greatly increased. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I go do something? I want you to notice the word. When may I do something for my what? My own household 
You see what's happening? They're going back and forth here. Jacob's like, I want to go home. Jacob's like, no, no. Uh, Laban's like, no, no, no. I want you to stay. Please stay. No, no. I want to go home. Please stay. Please stay. You know what? Whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. You name your wage. No, no. Jacob's like, I don't want anything. I just want to go home. I want to be with my family. I've been here 14 years. This isn't home to me. Let me go. Now, Laban was no doubt an ungodly and ruthless and selfish man. And Jacob, for all his moral weaknesses, is a man whose faith is deepening in over these last 14 years. And so in the midst of this back and forth, both of the men we see at least agree on one thing. And if you look at those verses we just read, you see that God has blessed a bad man because he has a good man working for him. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to come back to that a few times this morning. God has blessed a bad man because a good man is working for him. This concept actually occurs several times in the Bible. We see it when God promised to spare Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18 if there would be eight, you know, 10 righteous people. He would have spared the cities. We see it also in Genesis 39 when God uh, prospers Potiphar because a godly man, Joseph, was living in his household. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, it's a fascinating passage about a discussion on marriage. And it talks about where one partner is a believer and the other, the other spouse is not a believer. And it talks about in there, and it talks about the unbelieving partner or the unbelieving spouse or the children is or are sanctified through the believing partner. The same thought, the same ideas behind Jesus' idioms in Matthew 5 when he talks about us being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The point in all of these is that God ends up blessing the people of the world. Why? Because believers are there. Believers are nearby. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're here this morning, you are a Jesus follower. And Jesus is the Lord of your life. And you know something should be true is that your marriage should be better because you're a believer. If you're a believer and, and you follow Jesus, he's your Lord and he's your Savior. We just saw two people give their life to Jesus and say, God is my leader in my life. If, you're a lead, if, you, if God is the leader of your life, then, then your work environment should be better, should be influenced because you're there. Your school is different and better because you're there. Your family is different and better. Why? Because you, the believer, are there. Let me throw it out this way. God actually wants to bless his children so much, he will even in that process of wanting to bless us, he will allow even deceitful people to be blessed in the world through us or through, even through God. This bad man Laban was blessed because a good man, Jacob, was working for him. Let's look at the verse. It goes on, Genesis 30, verse 31. What shall I give you, Laban asked. Jacob replies, says, don't give me anything. I don't want another deal. I, I, I don't want another circumstance or situation where I'm indebted to you again. You keep getting the best of me. I don't want anything. But Jacob keeps hearing no, no, no from Laban. And there is a, there is a kind of a you know, respect thing, an integrity thing. There is kind of the, the patriarchal system here. And so Jacob's kind of keeps hearing no from Uncle Laban, father-in-law Laban. And with all of this back and forth exchange, Jacob's like, man, all I'm getting at him, this guy is a no. 
Verse 31, don't give me anything, Jacob replies. But, all right, he's kind of realizing. All right, if you'll do this one thing for me, I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. I don't want to stay. But out of respect, I will stay and I'll keep working for you. And here's what I ask in return. Look at verse 32, Genesis 30. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. Now, you and I don't think much of that, but let me tell you what he just asked for. He said this. He said, if I have to stay, and, and, and money value was found in your herds and in your flocks, if I have to stay, I want you to give me all your junk. Speckled, spotted, all of that, those were the leftovers. Those were the runts. Those were the rejects. Those were the throwaways of the herd or of the flocks. I want you to think about something with me for a moment. Jacob has learned a great deal over the last 14 years in Haran. He has been receiving the discipline of the Lord. And in that journey, as God has been opening his eyes and helping him see, he's been discovering, he's figured out, Laban is shrewd. Laban is worthless. And so Jacob comes up with a plan where Laban will not be able to deceive Jacob in the deal. And where Laban could never accuse Jacob of doing any wrongdoing. So he's like, hey, give me the leftovers. Give me the runts. Give me the speckled, spotted animals. In fact, Jacob takes it a step further to assure that there's no holes in this, that, that Laban's not going to come up with any excuse, anything in the future. Look at verse 33, Genesis 30. And he says, and my, and what, what's the word there? My what? My honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you want to check on the wages you've paid me, if there's any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored, it will be considered, what's the word? It will be considered. If you're Laban hearing this, what are you thinking to yourself? You're like, giddy up. Look at verse 34. Agreed. Agreed. He's just like, it took him 0.0 seconds. He's like, sold. Agreed. Let it be as you have said. I can't believe I'm hearing my ears. Jacob, 14 years, and he's still a sucker. He's still making bad deals. What you and I have here as we look at the story is a business deal, a business transaction among family. doesn't usually go well among family, but so it's among family. And in this process of this business deal, it's a business transaction between a godly person and an ungodly person. The question is, based on what I've shared with you this morning, who won? The question is, based on what I've shared with you this morning, who was the most successful in the transaction? What would the obvious answer be? Who was it? Laban, right? Clearly, he won in this deal. He won the nego at the negotiating table. Jacob loses again. But Jacob viewed winning. Jacob saw success through different lenses, through different eyes. Jacob was far more concerned about how things happen, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. 
Jacob could have left. He could have said, hey, I'm out of here. Fulfill my contracts. You know, two of them. I'm done. I'm heading out. But see, Jacob has a greater value than his own personal success, his own personal winning. Jacob valued honesty. Jacob valued what God was doing in him. Jacob valued integrity. Jacob has gotten to a point where he has said, I'm more concerned about character. I'm more concerned in this transaction about honoring my father-in-law. I'll just take whatever's left, and I'll figure out how to make it work. It's going to be tough. I mean, they're the rejects, but I'll figure. He's more concerned about the how. How do you and I be successful in God's eyes? How do you and I win in this world, of this me-first world where it's all about doing whatever it takes? How do you and I be successful in that? How do you and I, you know, put on the Philippians 2, put others above ourselves, consider them better than ourselves? How do we do that? Well, the key is we keep integrity as our highest priority. We keep integrity, or maybe for some of us, we might have to say, we have to get integrity out as our highest priority. Listen, if you keep me first as the highest priority, then integrity at some point in that process, it's just going to go out the door. Because it won't matter. Because if it's me first, me being successful, me getting, me winning at all costs, integrity will go out the door. With the world views success not by the how you got there. The world views success by how many rings do you have? How many championship rings? How much is the profit margin? What's your rank? What's your position? But God is far more interested in how you got there, how you got to that point. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 17 says this. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart, and you are pleased with, what's the word? You are pleased with integrity. And you know what success looks like in God's eyes, winning in God's eyes in this me-first world? It's being fair, being honest, being truthful, being forthright, being responsible. That's what God cares about. That's integrity. And that stands in sharp contrast to our world today. In fact, James chapter 3 says this, verse 14. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, and it's an unspiritual. It's even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every, every evil practice. You know what's crazy? Jacob used to be that guy. When he entered Haran, he was the James 3 person. Selfish ambition all the way. Do whatever it takes to win at all cost. His father and the blessing, his brother Esau and the birthright. He was one who would say, I put me first. And when you think about it, Jacob has spent 14 years in Haran living with the fruit of his me-first mentality. But God was using those 14 years, wasn't he? It's one of the things God's showing all of us. He was using those 14 years in Jacob's life to mold him, to shape him, to transform him, to change him, to convert him to others first or God first. 
James said envy, selfish ambition. He said that's just going to lead to disorder. That's going to lead to evil practices. And in fact, the more selfish a culture is, the more destructive a culture is. I I want you to go back with me a moment and think with me about the Great Recession that started in December of 2007, went into 2009, and what led up to it. See, I can guarantee you there are a lot of people at the top, they didn't care about the how. They didn't care about how we get here because a whole bunch of people were only concerned about the results, right? Money, 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 money. Us down the chain, we're concerned about bigger TVs, bigger this, better this, more of this, more that. And so all of us got involved in this, in this process. Selfish ambition. Complete and total me first mentality. And what appeared to be success, earthly wisdom, selfishness, what did it lead to in Dece- starting in December 2007? Using James' words, it led to disorder. It led to ultimately collapse. Now, I want you to imagine with me, I'll give me just one example, continuing on this pathway. Imagine uh, if a loan officer, and I love loan officers, so don't get me wrong here by using this illustration, okay? Love them, have them in the family, they're great people. But just imagine if a loan officer back then had kept integrity as the number one priority. Imagine if the how mattered to that loan officer. I'm sorry, Mr. So-and-so, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to give you that 0.0 loan because in four years your life will fall apart and be a wreck. I'm sorry I won't be able to give that to you because your interest rate will skyrocket. You'll know I'll be able to afford the payment and you're going to be out on the street. Now, I'm curious, other than if some godly men and women, how was, did the majority of people do that? And I think the answer would be very few did that. Because the me-first mentality said, i, I, I got to do whatever it takes to win. i got to do whatever it takes to hit my numbers. i got to do whatever it takes to be the number one salesperson. I have to do whatever it takes to succeed, to get the badge, to get the honor, to get the privilege, to get the reward, to get the recognition. And we have that in us. Why? Because our, our society doesn't celebrate second place. Our society doesn't celebrate Philippians chapter 2, consider others better than yourself. But the more you and I can be okay with Philippians 2, the more you and I can, can, can trust God in His way, the more we be successful with God, the more we win in God's eyes. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, there's something incredibly valuable about second place. And if you're sitting here this morning saying that goes against every fiber in my being, of course it is. It's not natural. In our flesh, in our natural man or natural woman, of course it doesn't make sense. But we have the Spirit of God residing in us. So for those of us who are Christ followers, and those of us who are Christ followers, if we start finding incredible value in second place, it's in second place, that's where you and I start to meet God. That's where we start to connect with God. Success with God, it's focused on the how. How to be fair, how to be honest. How to think about the other person. To think, how would I want to be treated? And then really live that out. You're a student taking a test. 
And success in the world's eyes is all about getting the grade and getting into that college or that university. The what, the results, that's what matters. So, is it acceptable to cheat? Of course it is. You do whatever it takes. In fact, we won't even call it cheating anymore. But success with God says, man, I'm more concerned with the how. How did I get whatever the grade was? How did I study? Did I do my own work? Did I put my own effort into it? Success with God is focused on the how. And if you and I will keep integrity first, it will keep us in step and in tune with God. Keep integrity first. It keeps you on the path of being successful and in step and in tune with Almighty God. Okay, so the negotiation is done. The terms are reached. Jake is getting the leftovers. He's getting the runts, the spotted ones. Laban's gonna, going to get all of the best, all of the good animals. Don't forget, Laban is a slime ball. Okay, don't forget that he's shrewd and he's, he's, he's just gets in there and figures out how to do it his way. Me first. Success in the world's eyes. So notice what he does. Genesis 30, verse 35. Crazy. That same day, he, Laban, removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. You see what just happened? He just said, I know we came to terms. I know I told you that, yes, you can have the spotted sheep. I didn't tell you when. We'll start the deal tomorrow. Quickly, go get all the sheep. Sons, you take all these sheep, you get three days away. Jacob wakes up the next morning, goes out to count the sheep. And there's no runts left. No throwaways, no spotted, no speckled, no dark. And he's standing there going, oh my goodness, it happened again. The scammer was scammed again. But Jacob doesn't complain. He doesn't call Laban on it, which means God has clearly been changing Jacob's heart because Jacob has been moving to this place in his life where he was trusting God with more and more of his life. He was putting his life in God's hands more and more. Let me ask you this question. The longer you've been figuring out this faith journey thing, the longer you're spending time with Jesus, have you been able to put more and more and more of your life into God's hands? I hope you've been seeing that and seeing that God's faithful and you will work it out and he will make your, help your life and work your life in the direction he wants it to go. Jacob's been figuring that out. He's had 14 years to figure out it's a little better in my life. Life works out better. It's not always easy, but I'm successful in God's eyes when I put my life in his hands. Jacob's no longer trying to manipulate and deceive as he's done in the past. He's just putting the whole situation in God's hands. And he's going to do it in a very interesting and unorthodox way. In Genesis chapter 30, verses 37 through 42, it tells us that Jacob takes these peeled poplar branches and he takes them and he puts them in the watering trough so that the, when the animals were in heat and they were ready to mate, they would do so at the watering trough in front of the branches. Crazy idea, right? Pretty wild. But what were the results? Verse 39, Genesis 30. 
They bore the young. These normal sheep and goats and all that, they bore the young, and they were streaked and spotted and speckled. How does that happen? I, I don't know about how all this, I didn't look it up this week because I didn't have time to spend three hours and learn about sheep and goats and spots and speckled. So I just went to some commentaries and kind of like, and they were all like, hey, we don't know what this means. Commentators are divided on all of this. They actually are. Is Jacob exercising some kind of local superstition? Is he trying to manipulate the situation in order to help God out? Or were the peeled poplar branches, yes, I worked on that all week, were the peeled poplar branches an expression of his faith in God? Hmm, that's interesting. Is that possible here? Well, who gave God, or who gave Jacob the spotted speckled sheep? Was it the branches? Or was it God? How do we know the answer? Genesis 31 verse 9 tells us. And in that verse, Jacob clearly indicates it wasn't the branches. It was God who gave him the increase. It wasn't the branches. It was God who gave him the increase. And I love verse 43. It's the verse we love. It's, the happy, it's kind of the happy ending that we all like. We hope that it exists. It doesn't always in life, but sometimes it does. We get one of those happy endings here, verse 43. In this way, the man grew what? We don't normally say two words, but I want to do it this morning. In this way, the man grew, and what's the two words? He grew exceedingly prosperous. He didn't just make a little bit. Man, it, exceedingly. And he came to own how many, how many flocks? How, how big were they? They were large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys, which was a way to say, the dude is now loaded, okay? He is rich. He's loaded. What, did, what Jacob uh, ended up doing was through this, this faith action that he took, he ended up doing it. He ended up trusting God. And by doing that with the peeled poplar branches, that act of faith in all of that, God gave him large flocks. What's happening here? Very simply, God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Jacob when he was on the second day of his journey in Genesis 28 where God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you stuff. I'm going to take care of you. And you're going to be the beginning of an incredible nation. And you're going to bless all people on earth eventually one day. And God's fulfilling his promises. It wasn't overnight. Jacob was patient. And he was faithful. You ready for this? For another six whole years of trusting God with his wild, peeled poplar branches act of faith. Did you catch that? I might have given up after, you know, the first couple times and go, I know that's all a hoax. I'm just going to do it. He kept doing it for six years because it was, it was his peeled poplar branch act of faith before God. In the beginning, he didn't have any financial success. He wasn't financially winning but he had success with God. Did you catch that? Didn't have this success, but he had success with God. Over time, God chose, God doesn't always choose this, but in this circumstance, God chose to bless him and provide for him and receive his peeled poplar prosperity. Yes, that was hard to say. I won't ask you to say three words this morning. Jacob had success with God. 
God happened to choose to ultimately give him success, not just in God's eyes, even in the world's eyes. By the way, during this six-year period of time, so we have seven, seven, and six, 20 whole years eventually, but in this six-year period of time, slimy uncle Laban, slimy father-in-law Laban, he tried to change up the rules 10 different times. He was doing everything he can to keep getting blessings because he's around Jacob. And he tried to keep him there as long as possible. And yet Jacob stayed true. He demonstrated acts of pure faith. He put himself entirely at God's mercy. And as a result, Jacob not only survived, but he ended up thriving. Why? Because God honored his heart. God honored his integrity. God honored his awareness and his focus on the how. Not the winning at all costs, but to win and to be successful in the how. But that's success with God. And in fact, as I mentioned earlier, God wanted to bless Jacob so much that he even allowed the ungodly Laban to be blessed as well. I throw this out to you because it was one of those final thoughts this morning that I, I was like, oh man, the thought came to mind, I just threw it in the notes. Here's, a cra- here's kind of a side question for you to think about. God wanted to bless Jacob so much that he blessed the ungodly Laban as well. So here's something for you to think about, ponder, dwell on this week. And I would encourage you to do so. I know I've been thinking about it. How many of us here this morning are blessed not because of our own integrity and our own heart for God, but because of the heart or the integrity for God of somebody around us? In other words, how many of us here the reason you're receiving, whatever that looks like, I'm not talking financial success, but whatever that blessing or success looks like, how many of you are thinking, oh, I must be right with God? And maybe the answer is no, you're not. You're Laban. You just happen to be around a Jacob, and you're in the sphere of that blessing. Sorry, it just came to mind this morning. I mean, it really did. I was like, oh, my goodness. I'll be thinking about this all week. Because sometimes we mistake our blessings because we're right with God. God's like, ah, you're just in the sphere of somebody else's blessing. As I study this story, I see a component of Jacob's peeled poplar branch act of faith. And that was simply this, that he was patiently trusting God to provide. That's what he did for six years. He patiently trusted God. Success in God's eyes is you just keep integrity, you keep it a priority, and you patiently trust God to provide in his timing. It's never our timing. It's trusting that he knows what is best and he knows when it's best. It's God first, God first, God's first. That's what success is, God first. When you live with the me first mentality, hey, I'm going to win at all costs and I'm going to me, 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 I want to get what I can get, I'll tell you, that's going to create panic. That's going to create fear and that's going to create worry. It's going to create in this, oh, i got to move, i got to go, i got to go now, i got to go, it's now or never. And then we just end up making horrible decisions. We might win. We might be successful in the world's eyes for a season, but we won't be in God's eyes. God invites you and I to patiently trust him. And that's what a huge part of faith really is, right? Faith, by definition, is that you don't know when. You don't know when. And it's uncomfortable. And sometimes fear creeps in and you feel like, oh, I might miss out because the world's way looks so appealing. 
Faith in God simply means I don't know when. God, I just know that your way is best and I'm going to trust your way. And so I'll do whatever I do honestly and fairly and with integrity before you. And I'll trust you with the timing. And some of us, some of you have come up to me and said, hey, I've been in Haran. I've been in that season of discipline. I've been in that season of struggle. And I've been there for a while. Man, God's message for you this morning is Keep integrity first and foremost in that season. Don't cave, don't collapse. Patiently trust God with His timing. Cling to verses like Ephesians 3, verse 20, that says to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine. Trust Him. Cling to verses like Matthew 6, 33-34, that just says, don't worry, don't worry. If you seek God, seek His kingdom first. God will provide, God will take care of you. Philippians chapter 4 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Go to God. You're going to have, there's going to be times, even when you're seeking his way, and you're going to be fearful. There's going to be times you're going to go to God, and it's going to be hard to be patient. You're going to have times when your, your courage is going to wane. There are going to be times where it's difficult because the world's way is calling you to say, ah, forget the integrity thing. And God says when that fear creeps in and that worry creeps in and that anxiety creeps in and the, I don't, God's way, it just is so hard right now. God just says pray. You feel the pressure, you feel the pain and the fear. God just says pray. Open hands, surrendered heart, and when you do, God's going to show up and God will give you perspective. God's changing Jacob. I believe he's changing us. And if we will just be open to what God is doing in our life, that we will keep integrity first, that we will trust God in his timing and do our peeled poplar branch acts of faith, whatever those are in our life, God will show up and you'll be successful in God's eyes. You will win in God's eyes. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to go before God right now and think about what your peeled poplar branch act or acts of faith look like for you right now. Maybe that has to do with your integrity. Maybe that has to do with trusting God and his timing. Will you talk to him about that for a moment? God, thank you that you are faithful, that you are working in our life, that you are changing us more into the image of Jesus. God, we thank you that you're giving us Jacob, a guy who's mixed up and messed up. And it helps us, God, to see that if you can change him, you can change us. So God, we come before you this morning with our hearts open to you, our hands lifted high, surrendering to you. We want to do it your way. We want to live with integrity, and we want to trust you. So, God, we lay before you our acts of faith. And, God, some right now come in this time to worship you and lay their act of faith before you in the form of a financial gift, an offering. You've asked us to do this. You've asked us to set aside our first fruits and give it back to you. And so, God, that's what we do right now. And we do this, God, and sometimes there's joy and sometimes there is fear. And we're going to trust you, and we're going to trust you to provide and trust you to take care of us. And so, God, this is our peeled poplar branch act of faith in this moment. 
receive this from us, God, from our hearts. Use this for your glory, for your kingdom, to make a difference in the lives of other people and in our lives. And so we come now to give you this offering to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.